What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod. I am not Bill Press. I'm Jason Dick, Deputy Editor of Roll Call. And if this was the old Tonight Show, I'd be the Kermit the Frog guest host to Bill's Johnny Carson. We have a lot to talk about this week. Joe Biden delivered his first joint address to Congress as president, something he probably thought of a few times in his more than three decades as a senator from Delaware and eight years as vice president. Biden acknowledged history, touted his achievements, and he outlined an ambitious legislative agenda. Then he and Vice President Kamala Harris hit the road to sell it to the public. Republicans had some of their own thoughts about all this, and they're kind of interesting. And speaking of interesting, Rudy Giuliani, who signed off on many a federal search warrant in his crime fighter days back in the, the 80s and 90s, found out what that was like when authorities searched his home in their probe of allegations he was an unregistered foreign agent. That's right, the Trump-Giuliani-Ukraine storyline has another sequel. It's unclear how involved Borat will be. Meanwhile, the Census Bureau also released its report on which states will lose and gain congressional representation and presidential electoral votes starting in 2022. And as always, we'll talk about our favorite offbeat stories of the week. Joining me today for the roundtable, Amanda Becker, Washington correspondent for the 19th. Hello, Amanda. Hello, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Uh, Jen Bendry, senior politics reporter for HuffPost. Hi, Jen. Hi. Also, Jen is my neighbor. I just wanted to brag about that. <laughs> and John Bennett, senior editor for the Washington Examiner. Hello, John. Hello, Jason. Thanks for having me. No problem. Hey, uh, good good to hear your voice again. It has been too long uh, since I since I have seen you. I've seen Amanda and Jen around uh, town, but uh, it's it's good to it's good to hear your voice again. Same here. All right, let's uh, let's dive in. Let's start with the joint address. Um, you know, th- this was uh, maybe one of the weirder joint addresses that we will ever uh, have, uh, you know, sort of covered or edited copy on or wa- just watched as bystanders. I mean, talk about uh, a coming at a strange time and an historic time. Uh, the the president, he, uh, you know, he he right off the bat sort of acknowledged history uh, in the making. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. No president has ever said those words from this podium, and it's about time. Amanda, at the 19th, uh, this is a, the nonprofit news uh, uh, site uh, that focuses on women in politics in particular. Uh, what was it like covering that moment? Uh, was the, the 19th, uh, I mean, they, they obviously knew this was coming, uh, but uh, let, let's talk about that moment in, in history. Yeah, I mean, you love to see it, as the kids would say, or maybe not even kids are saying that anymore. Um, You know, we were preparing for that. My colleague Aaron Haynes kind of wrote a story about what that visual meant to people. Uh, There was a great photo of actually Vice President Kamala Harris walking into the chamber, um, kind of 
in front of a doorway, you know, backlit with her, her chin up. And just seeing those two women, I think, was really important to a lot of people. We've been waiting a long time for this. Um, and I saw people across the political spectrum talking about that on social media and just kind of how it was a, it was a change and the time has come for it. For sure. And John, uh, you and I uh, were uh, colleagues at Roll Call when you were the White House correspondent for for Roll Call. Uh, You covered a lot of these these states of the union and joint addresses to Congress. Uh, Just like, what were you thinking when you saw just how empty the chamber was because of COVID protocols? And I mean, there was almost like an echo, even on TV. Uh, What what were you thinking when you when you saw when you were watching the speech? Yeah, I really didn't know what to expect. Uh, We reported, like everyone else, uh, you know, around 200 folks were going to be in there in the chamber. And I thought it, you know, it depends on how they space them out and and what have you. But uh, a few minutes before the president came in, uh, the cameras uh, zoomed out, that really wide panoramic shot. And it it stopped me in my tracks. I was messaging with a colleague. Uh, We were strategizing for the rest of the evening. And I just stopped. And it was it was really surreal. And, you know, I thought the president framed, like you said, framed history really well. But, you know, the buzz was not there in the room before uh, as the the other officials and what few cabinet members were there and and what few justices came came down the aisle. Um, You know, there just wasn't that buzz. That's what really jumped out at me. Uh, Just that feeling, you know, you and I are, are, are sports fans. It always feels like a playoff game, one of these joint addresses or states of the union. And this felt like a preseason game in late October. Yeah, in in like uh, Central Florida, where Becker is, uh, right. <laughs> is phoning in from. Yeah, uh, Jen, uh, one of the things that struck me about the address itself is that I mean, you've uh, you know you've you've covered Congress and politics and the presidency uh, in in your purchase at HuffPost and also at Roll Call uh, in a previous life. Uh, you know, this was kind of peak Biden in, in a way, right? I mean, it, it seemed that that he was he he felt very comfortable. It was a very homey sort of address. It was peak Biden, and, and not just because he was a longtime senator and that he loves going back to Capitol Hill. He loves being in there and he, he makes jokes and says how he feels at home and like clearly he's very comfortable in the building but also just his he his speech itself was very bideny to me because he he took all these horrible crises that we've been facing and somehow talked about them as a great opportunity for him to do things and that is to me classic biden i covered biden for years as vice president and something he used to say all the time and i bet he continues to say is and this is almost verbatim, he would always say, I have never, ever, ever felt more optimistic about this country than I do right now. He says that all the time. He's been saying that since like 2009. And he may have even said it in the speech. Um, And when he began his speech talking about how he's inherited all these crises, like between the coronavirus pandemic the economy being topsy-turvy and, of course, the insurrection at the Capitol, which he called the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. That's a pretty crappy mix of things to inherit. But he went right ahead and said, OK, we're on the move. There's so much possibility here. Let's be strong and and we're going to get through this because 
And this is a quote, in America, we never, ever, ever stay down. So both being in the in the Capitol building and the, the tone of his speech was all very Biden-y. Yeah, very much so. And I believe we have a, a clip where he gets into almost like a sing-songy sort of thing, like, you know, from crisis to opportunity. I think we've got that. Uh, let's Let's listen to that clip. Crisis to opportunity, setbacks into strength, choosing hope over fear, truth over lies and light over darkness. After 100 days of rescue and renewal, America is ready for a takeoff, in my view. We're working again, dreaming again, discovering again, and leading the world again. 100 days ago, America's house was on fire. We had to act. And thanks to the overwhelming support of the American people, Democrats, independents, and Republicans, we did act. And maybe most importantly, thanks to the American Rescue Plan, we're on track to cut child poverty in America in half this year. So, Amanda, you uh, you were on the trail uh, in the lead up to the 2020 election. You were uh, on the Harris bus for, for quite a while, but you also covered Warren uh, and, and several other folks. I mean, Biden was, um, you know, trailing badly at, at certain points. And part of it was, you know, this question of whether he could ignite progressives, you know, to, to you know, come over to his side or to trust him. But this was this speech, the outlining of the the accomplishments, and then also what he proposed, you know, like an expansion of child tax credits, uh, free pre-K, free community college, uh, not free, but paid for, uh, you know, by by, uh, you know, particularly taxes on the wealthy. I mean, this was about as progressive an agenda as one would expect, not just from Biden, but from any Democrat. It was. And you mentioned Senator Warren. And um, at least I was watching this on C-SPAN, my, my go-to. Um, and Mine every, too. Every it, time they panned to her, uh, she just looked absolutely delighted because there there is Elizabeth Warren um, woven throughout these plans, um, especially as it relates to the caregiving economy, child care, elder care, um, things that will help people stay in the workforce and get back to the workforce. So this was a very progressive uh, platform that he outlined in this speech. And I think that, you know, he's winning over some of his skeptics in Congress on the left. And John, on the on the right, I mean, there again, the the response was muted. I mean, you didn't see these because it wasn't packed, as, as we mentioned uh, earlier. You didn't see this like sort of weird up down, you know, Tetris like uh, wave of approval and disapproval from Republicans and Democrats. Um, but but you could see that among some of the body language, among some of the Republicans and then afterwards, some of their comments that Republicans were not uh super enthusiastic about a lot of the this agenda he was outlining you're being diplomatic jason they were <laughs> um they were pretty angry i uh i'd like to f- to flip around as i was uh editing uh, editing copy and i landed on fox for a little while and um there was kevin mccarthy the house minority leader with sean hannity and um you know they they were they were apoplectic at times. Uh, Actually, we, we've got a clip. Uh, let, let's play a, a short clip from that because it's a it is a it, it illustrates what you're talking about perfectly. 
He wants control of your life. He's going to control how much meat you can eat. Can you imagine that? <laughs> can you imagine that, John? Like when you go to order your hamburger for lunch, you're going to have to check in with the president, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'd probably just shoot, uh, shoot Joe a text and uh, <laughs> make sure it's okay. Uh, maybe, you know, I don't want two patties, but it is Friday. Uh, <laughs> You know, yeah, they 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 have this image of of Biden that you know they want to demonize Biden, and yeah, as was stated earlier, it's a very progressive agenda. I think Biden and his team are are cognizant fully that you know the the old line from a hunt for Red October combat combat tactics, Doctor Ryan. Right now, the only incentive is really to go for broke, and if Republicans win back control of both chambers, and if they they win the White House uh, in 2024, I would imagine you know the only tactics that really make sense is to go for broke, push a very conservative agenda, because the country's so divided that the other party might win in the next midterms, might win in the next presidential election. They're going to undo half of what you did anyway. So tactically, you know, it make I think it does make sense what Biden laid out and what they're pushing with these spending bills. Uh, because you just don't know what's going to happen in a year and a half and then uh, in 2024. And Jen, the, um, the the official Republican response was delivered by Senator Tim Scott, uh, who's a Republican from South Carolina. Um, you know, the, by uh, all of my interactions with Scott, you know, have, have been very, you know, sort of, he seems like a very sincere guy to me. Um, we, we've got a short clip and then let's talk a little bit about some of the reaction uh, to his uh, to what he said, uh, and and like, uh, and go through some of that. Our nation is starving for more than empty platitudes. We need policies and progress that brings us closer together. But three months in, the actions of the president and his party are pulling us further and further apart. Tonight, we also heard about a so-called family plan. Even more taxing, even more spending to put Washington even more in the middle of your life. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. So, Jen, I mean, the, with all due respect to the to the senator, it seems like the it could almost be turned back on him about empty platitudes because the the Republicans really aren't offering much of an alternative. They're just saying Biden sucks. It's almost as if you're saying Tim Scott's speech wasn't sincere and based on a good faith effort to get things done. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just I kept on waiting for, OK, you know, instead of this, you know, how about he work with us on this thing? It was just, you know, more taxes, more spending, nothing tangible. And I got to say, like fourteen hundred dollar checks, that seems really tangible to me. Yeah. And I think that I mean, I. I, I agree with what John was saying that, um, you know, Biden, his at, at a at a minimum, he's got two years to go big and do something. And so they're going to go big. They're going to push for these trillion and billion dollar proposals. And and I think the key here is that um, I, I think one of the problems with what Tim Scott is arguing is that Biden is actually trying to to court Republicans in general, I think, but not in Congress. <laughs> he's he's pointing to things that have broad support in the country uh, that he wants to do, but you know, Republicans in the Senate, for example, don't want to do them. So 
this whole concept of bipartisanship is is going to be an interesting one to follow because that it doesn't it's not something isn't necessarily just bipartisan because you know you have 10 senators who like it and the rest of the country doesn't so yeah anyway uh there's that but no i mean tim scott's speech was was it felt like when he first started talking i felt like he could be talking at any he could be doing the rebuttal for any democratic president's state of the union because it didn't really line up to me uh and when he started talking about how this country isn't racist um i also was surprised he said that because this does, has he seen the data in this country? Right. right. Um, we've got well, some pretty bad stats uh, on life expectancy for Black and Latino populations, on the graduation gap, on racial wealth uh, inequality, on home ownership, on bias and criminal justice. So uh, that's a whole other discussion that he just sort of tapped on and, and moved on from that wasn't really uh, based in, in, in facts. And he also he mentioned this. I mean, as that as a black man, he has been pulled over like for no real good reason, you know, even though he's a senator, he's a United States senator. I mean, so there there I mean, and he even made a reference to that in in his response and then kind of called, you know, sort of walked away and said, well, but, you know, we can't use race as something, you know, just to blame all of our problems on which. So I thought, you know, that this was a, a, a bit strange and also the the you know, saying that we're, that Biden is pulling us apart. I mean, last time I checked, the guy had like 60% approval ratings, which, you know, granted, it's hard to get anybody like up to the, up to that level, but that doesn't seem like completely, you know, torn apart. Maybe Republicans in Congress are not happy about it, but. I would, uh, I would also just add that it's, it's hard to see Joe Biden as someone who's just ripping people apart. I mean, if anyone, everybody knows who Joe Biden is, he's been in politics for decades and if anything, if you can say anything about Joe Biden, it's that everybody pretty much knows who he is and how he works. And he is not somebody who rips people apart. He's just not that guy. So I, I was surprised. I was surprised by the the tone and the message of Tim Scott's speech. Yeah. Hey, we're going to take a short break here, uh, you know, wrapping up the speech, and then we're going to get on to some of our other topics like Rudy Giuliani. Uh, but uh, we'll be right back after this short break. Today's podcast brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA. Over 500,000 strong under the leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan. The members of LIUNA, they're uh, our main construction workers, building new office buildings, new schools, and ready to rebuild our infrastructure. Involved in the energy area, building solar panels and wind turbines and good old-fashioned pipelines. Also, a lot of government employees, members of LIUNA, involved in healthcare, all building a better America. Check out their website at liuna, L-I-U-N-A dot org, and join us in saying thank you to the members of LIUNA for supporting the Bill Press Pod. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We are back. Uh, this is Jason Dick. I am sitting in the Bill Press chair uh, while Bill is on a long overdue uh, vacation out to the Golden State. Uh, joining me uh, are my former colleagues and, and acquaintances and friends uh, here in Washington journalism. That's Amanda Becker, who's a Washington correspondent for the 19th, John Bennett, senior editor for the Washington Examiner, and Jennifer Bendry, senior politics reporter for HuffPost. So, um, you know the this the the Judah, the Rudy Giuliani story this week. I mean, when when you think it can't get stranger, it just gets. I mean, I guess this isn't a strange thing um, that the you know the, the Southern District of of New York had asked permission from the Department of Justice uh, to execute search warrants on Giuliani during the Trump administration. The Attorney General and the Justice Department said no; they held off on it. Uh, but those search ex- uh, warrants were executed in looking into his dealings with the Ukraine uh, and his part, you know, this was what led to impeachment, all this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, what a what a strange fall. Amanda, like, is, I mean, I, I guess, you know, you're, you're calling in from Florida, so maybe you're primed for the strangeness. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, what was, what were you thinking when, when you saw this, that, um, and, and also Giuliani's, uh, uh, he, he, we've got this, you know, we've got this clip from him. Let's, let's play this real quick, uh, it, because it's just, it seems like, it was like a little flashback to the Trump administration. I said, well, don't you want these? And they said, what are they? I said, those are Hunter Biden's hard drives. And they said, no, 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 no. And they also were completely content to rely on my word that these were Hunter Biden's hard drives. I mean, they could have been Donald Trump's. They could have been Vladimir Putin's. They could have been anybody's. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, when I saw the headline, I saw the headlines before before I heard him um, speak on this topic. And my initial thought was, wow, this is not good for Rudy Giuliani. Um, and, you know, it's it's not looking good for him. And I'm not quite sure what 
point he was trying to make there, because that also raises questions about why he would have Hunter Biden's uh, hard drives. But, uh, you know, it, it does seem to be the case that the investigation into him is gathering steam in terms of his dealings with the Ukraine during the Trump administration. And if I were Rudy Giuliani, I would be very worried. Uh, he's an attorney, so he he hopefully knows this. And John, like I, I'm just curious, like because you know sometimes I feel like I'm I'm maybe in a little bit of a bubble, even though, you know, I, I try to keep like my eyes open about what what a number of you know different constituencies and and political uh, ideologies and what 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 people care about. But is is what Giuliani was saying and like in the just continuing to go back to Hunter Biden? Is this is this is there a, a constituency for this? Is this like a Fox News kind of like kind of dog whistle kind of thing? I, I just don't I'm seeming to not get it. Yeah, I was seeming to not get it last night as I briefly had Rudy and uh, Mr. Carlson on and I had to retreat back to the NFL draft. I I, <laughs> I had trouble. I had trouble making making sense of, um, you know, we're talking about this raid and I tried to give. I tried to give the feds Hunter's hard drive, which where does he slide it under his the guest bed in his apartment? Like, where do you keep Hunter's hard drive in your New York City apartment? And, you know, it was a long day yesterday, a long night uh, the night before. And, you know, maybe I, I didn't have my fastball at that point in the evening. But, you know, I, I, I think there is obviously a constituency for this. There's a hunger for this kind of conspiracy. Um, uh, well, this conspiracy uh, theory that they throw out. It's Fox primetime. Uh, it's Newsmax. It's OAN. Um, you know, we we like to think uh, it's it's interesting you say in the bubble, the D.C. bubble. You know, we we would usually call this the fringe of the right. But I think the fringe, as we found out in 2016 and oh, by the way, 74 million million people voted for the conspiracy candidate Donald Trump a few months ago. The fringe is a lot bigger than we think it is. And that's something that I think we always have to remind ourselves here because you're right. We are in a bubble. Jen, um, do you do you think, you know, that Giuliani becomes this cause celeb for the conservatives or or is this just again like my sort of the thing that I sort of joked about at the beginning? Is this just like a sequel, you know, where eventually we'll get some sort of Borat, some sort of Sacha Baron Cohen involvement, uh, but like sort of diminishing returns for the for the conservatives? I mean, the whole thing is so bizarre. And I feel like when I was reading about this, the <laughs> there's there's a lot of weird details to this like with hunter biden's hard drives and it could have been trump's or it could have been someone it's like there's just thing there's multiple things happening here but the one sentence that i couldn't get past was uh this is all focused on a single incident in which he allegedly failed to register as a foreign agent (laughs) like what so there's that uh but Aside from the the details of the raid and what was going on there, no, personally, I don't think this is going to become a a huge um, sideshow for conservatives that they want to latch onto. It's this feels like this is this is like the 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 what am I trying to say here? It's this was we knew something was coming from New York, the New York court, and are we that surprised that that the feds are raiding Rudy Giuliani's house given? all the shady things that, that he was connected to with, <laughs> with Ukraine. Yeah. I mean, it's just not that surprising to me. It, right. it's, it's good. It, to me, it shows that, you know, 
that people are actually taking this seriously. And this is very unusual and aggressive law enforcement, uh, you know, against someone very close to a former president. It's all very unusual. But given what we just came out of with the Trump administration and and all the the shady dealings that were, that were going on there with, uh, with Ukraine, I, this just is not that surprising. And I don't see this blowing up and becoming, you know, a real focal point for conservatives. Yeah, I, I got I to say, like, I mean, I think you're right that there's the, the plot is very simple, you know, uh, but it's just the flourishes maybe that it are just so, you know, crazy because I immediately had flashbacks to the hair dye running down his, his head, things like and, that. Maybe. <laughs> yes, there's that. And it's just it's sort of in line with some of the craziness that we saw before. But I think it's also worth noting that people are tired people are tired of just drama in the news all the time. And when, while this is law enforcement doing their jobs and trying to get to something concrete here, this is, I I feel like there is a collective exhaustion from the last four years. And, and do people really have the energy to throw all this rage and, and shock and, um, interest in, in defending Rudy Giuliani? I I don't, I don't see that. Yeah. I would just, Jason, I would just say the one thing, the Rudy, conspiracy uh, over and over again, night after night on Fox and Newsmax and OAN. You know, I don't think it's going to become some big national issue, but what it does, because like you said, it is a very simple narrative, at least in Rudy's telling of it. And that's all that a lot of people on the right are going to care about and listen to and believe. So what it does is it keeps that culture of conspiracy theory alive on the right. And that fuels, you know, Trump-like candidates for House seats and, and Senate races and and on down the ticket and all the way up the ticket. And if we ever want to get back to covering Washington that actually functions, then things like the Rudy conspiracy night after night, that's going to have to get weeded out of the system. But as long as the right is so wedded to cable ratings, it's just not going to happen. So it keeps it. It just fans that flame every night now yeah. well um not to not to uh close on the on the maybe the one of the drier topics compared to a joint address and the first woman vice president in the in on the dais and and rudy giuliani <laughs> uh but like i do want to spend a few minutes talking about the census uh because i uh being a dork uh am fascinated by this uh, I think that it's it, it really tells a story just about the country, but also this will this will change the way we cover some politics because people you know that sets off a scramble when states lose members of Congress. They're you know they sh- they shift around like the 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 basic you know the upshot is that a lot of the uh, older industrial states like Pennsylvania, New York, Michigan, Illinois. Uh, Ohio are losing states or they're losing uh, electoral votes and, and house seats. And they are shifting to places like Texas, which gained two seats, Florida, which gained a seat, uh, Colorado, which gained a seat, Oregon, uh, gained a seat and Montana, uh, which gained a seat. So, uh, Amanda, you're, uh, you're in one of the states right now, uh, where they're going to gain a seat. Uh, this is uh, something that happens in Florida, uh, every, every, uh, 10 years they gain a seat. Um, and it, what, when when you think about covering the 2022 elections i mean we, you know we mentioned at the uh, earlier that uh history is usually not kind to the president's um party 
a lot of these states that are, are gaining seats are, are states that voted, some of them narrowly, for, for Donald Trump. What are you thinking about as you're gearing up for covering the midterm elections in places like Florida and Texas? Well, of course, we're going to have to wait and see how the states draw the new districts as they all go through the redistricting process. And in every state, that's a little bit different. And not to deflect on Florida, Jason, but I was shocked that where you are right now, Arizona did not pick up a seat. Um, I was just out in the Phoenix area a couple weeks ago to work on a story. And, you know, Time and time again, you're told Arizona and specifically the Phoenix area in Arizona is one of the fastest growing areas of the country. And yet we didn't see them, you know, pick up a seat. And I have to wonder, you know, there were a lot of issues during this census. It was being conducted uh, during a a pandemic, uh, for starters. Uh, There was a huge push to get people to respond because of some of the things that former um, President Trump said about the census uh, process. And who it was going to count um, and who it wasn't going to count. And so, you know, I kind of wonder whether there were some um, undercounting across the country. So, you know, I'm not sure when that would come to light, if there's some sort of audit. These are just preliminary numbers that we saw put out. So, you know, it, it could completely change the landscape in some states in terms of representation. It could not at all. We're just going to have to see how they draw those districts. And John, um, on the electoral college uh um part of the of the census i mean i i sort of ran the numbers a little bit and the the initial sort of headlines that we saw were like this you know is shifting republican and this would benefit uh trump if he ran for re-election or a republican if they if you know like against biden or or any other democrat in in 2024 but to me it seems i mean like there is a marginal move toward uh toward trump but it isn't huge i mean if we had Say this map, you know, if we, if we were running with the, the, the map that the Census Bureau is, is saying would, will be the next map, I mean, Biden still would have won with 300 electoral votes. Yeah, I don't see this as, as creating a map that's, that's an easier path to victory uh, for Trump or, you know, DeSantis or some Trump-like uh, nominee that might emerge if he doesn't run. You know, I think this will come down to uh, what we saw um, uh, just a few months ago, uh, how Biden pulls the country out of the pandemic. What does the economy do? You know, these spending bills are really big. Republicans do have a point. Um, These are massive government spending bills at a time that the economy, you know, it's it's been a slow and steady recovery as the pandemic maybe is starting to fade, hopefully starting to fade. Um, And, you know, there are legitimate questions out there about whether these spending bills might, as economists say, overheat the economy. And then, you know, who knows if we head into in a year and a half or a year or six months from now, uh, something that feels like a recession. You know, I that's where the next election is going to be won and lost. I don't I don't think the census is is really tipping it one way or another. Jen, do you think we're we're so nationalized in so many ways, like with our politics that like, like John was saying, I mean, if the, if the economy is good, Biden much has a much better shot as opposed to, you know, just like redistricting and gerrymandering, determining the, the 2022 elections is, 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 are we almost like a, are we heading towards almost national elections? I don't know. I, I mean, it's just, I, I can't shake how close the house is right now between the two parties. 
And just reading about the census, I see that, you know, Republicans only need to flip about five House seats in 2022 yeah. to seize the chamber. Um, but I feel like uh, that it's it's more local. Like, I feel like if the economy is good, people are generally happy nationally. But maybe I've spent too many time, too much time in individual members districts just talking to people. And by the end, whenever I leave a district, I'm like, yeah. They like their representative. The representative's doing all the things they want. They're going to win again, like it, it because they're down at the at the railroad crossing, like helping to you know fix that pothole where the Johnny Smith's truck keeps getting stuck. Like the member of Congress is down there helping to get it fixed. So I don't know. I I'm looking at more local stuff right now as as um, as what's going to determine these things. Yeah. No. I I, I feel like we're in this. We are in this strange thing where it, everything is so close, you know, um, that, you know, people have been comparing Biden to FDR um, in, in terms of his ambitions about government. Uh, but FDR had like huge cushions, you know, in, in terms of majorities in, in the House and Senate, whereas Biden has a 50-50 Senate where his vice president has to break ties sometimes on nominees. Uh, and then, as you said, it, I mean, it's a five it's a five-seat uh, margin in the House, which is actually, I, I can't even keep track because so many people keep quitting, like Steve Stivers is leaving to become the Ohio Chamber of Commerce CEO. And we have like members who have gone to work at the White House, like Cedric Richmond and Deb Holland uh, is at the Interior Department. So I, I, I think it may even be closer at this point because I can't keep track of how close it is. And it, we're just like one little edge at one, one pothole fixed or one bridge fixed, maybe in an infrastructure package could be the difference between winning and losing. And I think that um, it's also worth noting how many longtime members of Congress are announcing retirements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I may or may not have news today on another one, <laughs> uh, but um, that is, this is sort of the window for them to announce if they're not going to run for reelection because it's relatively early enough for somebody else to, come in and run a good campaign, but it could, I mean, this could get really narrow, like even more narrow than it is now. If, if certain people are going to step down and, um, I don't know, I think historically the house is actually, you know, the house has its own swings as does the Senate. And I think the house is kind of due to swing back to Republicans. Yeah. So you can't overlook the trends too. And I, I mean, my bet is that it would, if we're going to follow the, the 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 rise and fall of different parties in, in in each chamber, it it certainly seems to me the House will will go to Republicans the next time. But who knows? Maybe Biden will charm, do something over the next two years that just charms everybody into wanting to support Democrats. You never know. Um, all right, like let's let's start to wrap up. This is my uh, uh, one of my favorite. Uh, times in, in these segments and when we talk about something that, I mean, it could be about politics, of course, uh, but it doesn't have to be. And it's just a story that we read uh, at some point in the last week or so, which was just like, oh, that's cool. I'm really glad I spent that time <laughs> doing that. Uh, Amanda, let's start with you. Oh, so mine was easy this week and I'm going to pull up the story so I can just read you the, the full headline. And actually, it, the way the New York Times presented it, it's it doesn't, it's not even set up like a normal story, but it's about the slander industry. And it's a story by Aaron Krolik and Kashmir Hill. 
Um, it's the, the main titles, the slander industry. And she was actually on their podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about this. Um, basically it's like this big picture look at this entire industry online of companies that profit off of people wanting to post, um, slanderous gossip about people that, uh, isn't true in almost all the cases online and just kind of the, the rippling effects it can have on people's lives and how it's nearly impossible to get it taken down once it's up there. And to show this, um, Aaron Corlick, the reporter, actually posts a bunch of slanderous posts about himself to track kind of how it starts to spread after that. Um, you know, and some of them end up on other websites with headlines like Aaron Corlick is an absolute loser. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really just, it's so creative and just something I didn't know that much about before this, even though I'm sure we get, uh, all get, um, those like junk emails where it's like a bad, you know, your reputation could be suffering online. Um, you know, and like these websites have names like badgirlsreports.date, bustedcheaters.com, worsthomerecker.com. Um, there's photos uploaded of people onto these sites. So this just was a completely fascinating look at an industry I didn't know much about before I read this. Very cool. John, how about you? Well, mine is an ongoing story, and uh, it is a story of our local NBA team, which a lot of people probably forgot we had. The Washington <laughs> Wizards are absolutely on fire. They've won 9 of 10. Uh, they're in the expanded playoff uh, playoff picture if, if the season ended today. Um, they're fun to watch. They're exciting. They score a lot of points. Uh, Russell Westbrook and Bradley Bill are playing just out of their minds right now. And um, now they're not going to get many stops, which is going to be a problem if they do make the playoffs and get out of this play-in tournament. Um, but, you know, it's exciting. And uh, a deep, dark secret of D.C. is, you know, the, the Washington football team, former Redskins, have really always been the most popular team. But D.C. really wants to be a basketball town. There's a lot of great uh, high school and college hoops in the area. And if you've ever been in, uh, I guess what they call it now, Capital One Arena, formerly Verizon Center, for a Wizards playoff game, um, the, the feeling is just electric. And D.C. loves basketball. And let's hope the Wizards can uh, keep this thing going. Yeah, I noted that uh, I noticed the other day that Westbrook is like five triple doubles short of breaking Oscar Robertson, who's a Hall of Famer's record for the most yeah. career triple triple doubles in, points in, points assist rebounds yeah. yeah just incredible this six foot guy and the other night i think he had 18 rebounds it's just and he does it every night yeah jen how about you my favorite story of the week was about andrew yang who the former presidential candidate and uh who's currently running for mayor of new york city he met with the stonewall democratic club of new york city which is a prominent lgbtq group to try to get their endorsement and he ended up pissing them off because instead of talking about policies that these that members of this club care about for the community, he started talking about how much he loves gay people and gay people are the best and how he wants to go to a lesbian bar, the cubby hole, and he like can't wait till he can go there. And he oh PS, I have gay staff. And are some of his best friends gay? He basically <laughs> said that. And people, it sounds like people in this meeting were horrified. <laughs> Because they kept trying to talk to, it sounds like they were trying to talk to him about policy issues like homelessness and, you know, things that, that disproportionately affect 
um, people in the LGBTQ community, like homeless youth or, you know, actual pressing issues. And he um, said things like, this is a direct quote from me. I genuinely do love you and your community. You're so human and beautiful. You make New York City special. I have no idea how we ever lose to the Republicans, given that you're all frankly in like leadership roles all over the Democratic Party. We have like this incredible secret weapon. It's not even secret. It's like we should win everything because we have you all. (laughs) And I guess like people there were really um, ruffled by that and I guess someone tried to bring up, um, tried to talk about some other issues. Um, it, it went back to issues of that were not about policy. They were about going to gay bars and somebody, somebody, um, who was in this forum with Andrew Yang put in the chat that they had, which was obtained by the New York times. Someone just wrote gay, gay, gay. Wow. So yeah, this, this was really amusing to me. And also I would like to go to the clubhouse with Andrew Yang. So if he is listening to the bill press podcast, I will take you to the clubhouse, Andrew Yang, and we can talk about actual LGBTQ policies. <laughs> Very cool. Um, my, my favorite story. Uh, I, I had a little time on the plane uh, coming back from, from Phoenix to DC the other day. And um, I, I, I had, purchased uh, a, a an actual physical copy of new york magazine uh at sky harbor airport which i usually don't do and i read this story which i don't know if i'd ever ever would have come across it and it's by a reporter named joshua hunt and it's about uh the the direct to video uh mark market niche called geezer teasers and these are uh these these movies that you see sort of in the corner of your eye possibly when you're on amazon prime or something uh and and it's like it's usually a, a bruce willis or a nick cage or a sylvester stallone or a steven seagal movie that you've never heard of and the it's about the the guy who has almost single-handedly created this geezer teaser uh market where you you hire somebody like willis for you know a million dollars for a day and you get a day's work out of him and then you film the rest of the movie around other people and and and, and he'll have basically like 7 or 8 minutes screen time but he gets top billing uh at the top of the the marketing and people will rent these videos uh, and you know it's really lucrative for people like Willis and Stallone and and Seagal and and it's it's very disappointing for moviegoers and then the kicker part of it all is that the guy who's responsible for this industry is a named randall emmett who was mark Wahlberg's body guy and is the inspiration for the character turtle in entourage i mean it just it it was just such a great like you know story setting together and of course now he's getting into directing these movies so he's working with robert de niro on terrible movies that are filmed in puerto rico and and about old sheriffs solving crimes (laughs) so that was my that was my pick which i just learned something about it so Ah, yes. Um, Amanda, John, Jen, thank you so much uh, for for coming to the roundtable, talking about this week. We covered a lot of ground. I appreciate your time and uh, look forward to to talking to you again and to seeing you in person uh, soon. All right, everybody. Thanks so much uh, for listening to the Bill Press Pod. Uh, you, You can... Find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, Please subscribe and we'll see you next time.